Our text is from our gospel appointed for this week. Taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. In the name of Jesus, Jesus is on his way. He's very focused not to be deterred about what he has come to do, and he wants his disciples to know and understand what he has come to do. And so he takes the twelve. He takes his entourage, the first pastors of the Christian church, and he goes, makes a beeline for Jerusalem. And what will happen there in Jerusalem? Why do we take this time before Lent to celebrate a little bit of a pre-Lent season? Why take the Sundays in Lent to prepare for Easter? Well, because what will happen in Jerusalem is everything. Everything. The whole enchilada, the whole can of worms, everything. Everything written by the prophets will happen there in Jerusalem. Which means you better be paying attention. You better be focused. Because not only will it happen, but it will be accomplished. What will, you might ask? Well, not just a few things. Not the majority even of all the prophecies. Rather, all, A-L-L, of the prophecies will be fulfilled and accomplished in Jerusalem. Everything. Got that? It's what Jesus says, folks. Everything. And how does your dear Lord summarize everything? That which will happen in Jerusalem? He says this, I will be delivered over to the Gentiles. I will be mocked. I will be shamefully treated. I will be spit upon. I will be flogged. And after all of this, I will be killed. Stone cold murdered dead. You crazy Christians, you say that you want to understand the Christian life? You tell your pastors and your friends and with your bumper stickers and your tweets and posts, you say that you want to be a disciple and that you want to walk with your Lord? If so, hear this. A true disciple understands and believes in His passion, His suffering, His death. And oh, by the way, Jesus adds, almost as a side note, on the third day I will rise. Pretty amazing, isn't it? How Jesus places the emphasis of this everything, not so much on the resurrection, but rather on his suffering. Interesting. Interesting as well that the disciples, they didn't understand these things. They didn't grasp what was said. They couldn't comprehend how suffering would be part of their dear Lord's glory. How suffering could possibly be a part of their life as disciples. 
And now, entering into the everything of this text, comes the blind man. We've talked about a blind man already. We've heard about him. We had a lot of fun with our preschoolers, didn't we, with the blind man? Jesus, who heals. The blind man, you see, knows suffering. He begs for food and money. He's totally dependent upon whatever crumbs and scraps are simply tossed his way. He can't see, but he can hear. And he hears. He listens. And he inquires about what he hears. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, they tell him. And immediately, this suffering blind man cries out. He doesn't pray silently. He doesn't mutter under his breath. He cries out loudly, passionately, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. How obnoxious, right? I mean, who does this blind man think he is? Doesn't he know his place? Ah, we gave him some old bread already today. What a nuisance. Be quiet, blind man. But the blind man knows suffering all too well. Funny, isn't it? That one who suffers so much cries out to the one who will suffer everything on Golgotha's tree. And so this blind man, he persists. He's one persistent, suffering blind man. He can't see where he's going. He can't see where he's been. He's helpless and he knows it. And in his not knowing, persistent, suffering state, he cries out even louder and more fervently, Son of David, have mercy on me. No doubt that the crowds that followed Jesus were full of people crying out and asking Jesus for all sorts of things. And perhaps you and I often find ourselves in these crowds. And after all, does not the good book tell us, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find? And, and so we do just that, right? We compile our lists of our wants and our desires. Those things that will make us happier, richer, fatter, healthier, and wiser. And we become part of the loud, obnoxious crowd that looks to our own wants, our own desires. We become part of that crowd. And often, as we become part of that crowd, we forget about those around us who might be in worse shape and circumstance. But most of all, I would submit to you today, we forget what we need the most. You see, this blind man, he cries out in simple faith. He does not have a long list of requests or demands. He doesn't presume to know what he does not know. Did you hear what the blind man asked? For first, it wasn't sight. He cries out for mercy. He simply asks in faith. 
And for this blind man who knows not what he needs, Jesus stops. Jesus singles this blind man out from all the crowd, from all of the disciples, and Jesus speaks a word of command, a word of authority. Some goofy people think that Jesus was just this nice guy who never commanded anything, but boy, he commands something in this text here today. You see, for this resident of Nazareth, the son of David, there is none other than the incarnate word that spoke creation to existence and for whom all of Scripture testifies, and he is now the one who has come to bind up the brokenhearted. He is the one who has come to heal the sick and the lame. He is the one who has come to care for the widowed and the orphaned, the one who has come to offer, well, everything, right? His own life as a ransom for many, the righteous one for all the unrighteous ones. And the blind man believes this, and he knows one thing, he knows his place. He is unrighteous, he is undeserving. And so the blind man, like a man sentenced to death, like one facing a sure and certain continued life of pain and suffering, he asks, he begs for mercy. He believes Jesus is the only one who can help him. He believes that Jesus has the power to pardon the sentence of eternal death that he feels that he's been dealt. And first and foremost, as we prepare for Lent, this is a lesson for you about what faith is and what faith is not. Faith is not telling God what you want and how you want it. Faith is first shown in repentance and crying out to God for mercy. Thus we pray the Kyrie in every divine service and prayer offices as well. Kyrie eleison, Lord, have mercy. Christe eleison, Christ, have mercy. We cry out with the blind man and all those in faith who have come before and will come after us. We cry as those who recognize our struggle with sin and death and the devil. We cry as those blind to our own sins and our inability to overcome them, our addictions, our worries, our fears, the good that we want to do that we don't do and the bad that we don't want to do that we keep on doing. We cry out as those who have no one else to turn to, nowhere else to turn Son of David, have mercy on me. And to such simple, simple faith, our dear Lord responds, what do you want, child? Tell me. You see, faith provides all that you need. The, the giver of life is the giver of every good gift, correct? Consider these other passages, Romans eight twenty six. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. John 14, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You see, Jesus responds 
to faith. Jesus responds to those who cry out for mercy, for help. And so question for you, do you, re- do you present your requests first? What do you want? Or do you cry out for mercy first? Jesus asked the blind man, and he says, I want to see again, Lord, to no longer be blind, if that be your will, if you're asking me, yep, here it is. (laughs) And isn't it marvelous? Jesus heals him right then and there. And this isn't a promise that you will be healed of all sicknesses and diseases in this present life. Don't fall into that trap. It's not a promise that all of your wants and needs will be met this side of heaven. You see, Jesus shows his misunderstanding disciples as well as you and me that he desires simple faith that shows repentance and trust. And that's where we start. Simple faith that pleads before the suffering servant himself, the lamb who was slain, and simple faith that now receives with thanksgiving the greatest of gifts, forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. Simple faith that expects the greatest rewards and answers to our prayers in the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come. And so, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, look not to physical miracles and earthly treasures. Look to Christ and glorify Him. Thank Him for His work upon the cross for you, where His passion was shown in humiliation and scorn, where His love dripped down upon you, emptying yourself that you might be full of His very body that conquered death and the grave. And this blood, this robe of righteousness covers you in the waters of holy baptism. And if you need to be reminded of that, well... I did something silly before church today. I put water in the font. Somebody asked me earlier this last week, Pastor, why does the font not have water in it? And Pastor, I've noticed that at some other churches, people will touch the water and and remind themselves of their baptism, maybe make the sign of the cross. And I said, well, I've never thought about it. I guess if we had one of those nice baptismal fonts with the bubbly, percolating water, and then people would probably want to have something to drink out of it. I don't know. But I thought that's a great point. The baptismal font should never be dry. Now the altar guild is probably going to crucify me for this because we're going to have to change it every week. But if you want to be reminded of how you're covered... When you come to the rail today, just just touch your fingers there. Remind yourself of your baptism, that righteousness, how you've been robed, though your sins are as scarlet. Because of this, Jesus, they're white as snow. Bring your children up. Let them play in it. I don't care. It's a beautiful, wonderful reminder of God's work for you. Psalm 50, 23, and I'll close with this. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. What do you want, your Lord asks? Good question, Jesus. 
He wants you to be saved and have everlasting life. And so, quite simply, he's accomplished it. Which is why we'll hear those words, in not too many weeks, it is finished. Your dear Lord has had mercy upon you. He has accomplished everything, fulfilling all of Scripture, that you might have life, that you might know in the midst of all that you face that His love is the greatest, and that because of His love, faith and hope yet abide. In the name of Jesus.